Hello, I'm Somi Aryan. I'm a tech philosopher, author, filmmaker, and the founder of InPeak, a platform where entrepreneurs and business professionals come to network, learn together, and stay ahead of the curve in the fast-paced world of emerging technologies like blockchain, Web3, NFTs, AI, automation, and so much more. Our guest on today's podcast is Justine Miesel, co-founder of Proof and Moonbirds and the creative mind behind the Moonbirds NFT collection. Previous to Moonbirds, he also co-founded and continues to run a project on Solana called Grim Syndicate. Justin is one of the most credible leaders in the NFT community. We spoke about a number of different topics, but most importantly, we discussed why women-led NFT projects seem to have a relatively harder time taking off. And I shared some ideas with him on how I plan to build allyship between men, women, and people of diverse backgrounds to build an inclusive business model. This podcast was a bit like a consultation session with one of the best minds in the NFT space, and I'm sure you will also find it super insightful. Before we start, I also wanted to tell you about our sponsor for today's show. Metabury Society, founded by Holger Manwiller, is the first project that builds a utility bridge between NFTs and the metaverse and a legacy industry. Every Metabury Society NFT grants you in real life utility of up to 300 cans of free craft beer per year in perpetuity. You also get voting rights on business decisions and access to exclusive brewing classes and beer tasting. Metabury Society is preparing to buy a real brewery from the NFT drop, where they deliver product innovations like high protein or smoked beers. They are also creating iconic beer shops in a digital twin of the Metabrew Society in the metaverse. The NFT revolution of the beer industry happens now, and you can be part of it. So Justin, great to have you here. always start uh, talking to the guests before I press record. And then I think actually a lot of the things that we were talking about is quite interesting. And then people mm-hmm. miss that. So as we speak, uh, of course, by the time this goes out, who knows where the world will be because the space moves so fast. Um, but as we speak, this is after the market crash of Luna. Hopefully by then, by the time people listen to this in probably a couple of weeks, hopefully by then there wouldn't have been another crash uh, or another who knows what will happen, right? I love some money in Luna and I was asking you if you did. Uh, The truth is that in this space you take risks and part of the reason why we are making money in this space is because we are taking risks but at the same time you also sometimes lose money. And then there are times that you uh, invest in something like Moonbirds, which I, I did. And all of a sudden, like my Moonbird is worth at this moment more than two Bitcoin, <laughs> you know, you know, so so um, actually my entire portfolio is is really, really down right now. I think like just my Moonbird alone is pretty much making up for all of my losses. So how long have you been in this space? And do you have some examples of those types of experiences? Yeah, I mean, I would say for myself, you know, I would say I'm I'm relatively newer on most of it. You know, I think my first real exposure outside of, so I should say my first exposure to NFTs was really the foundation kind of marketplace because it was like a really good on-ramp for my 
there's like a lot of designers and, and like illustrators within like, you know, the tech communities and stuff were utilizing foundation as a sort of like one, one kind of platform where it's like, if you're just going to create original works of art from there. And so a lot of people at that stage were just kind of testing it out and just kind of seeing like, how would this work? What does it mean? And so, um, I think there's a lot of hesitance, you know, around the space, not really understanding how it was going to work. What are the impacts of, of kind of working in the space? And so my first exposure was really there. You know, I didn't, I didn't own any like substantial coins. I didn't have anything quite like that. Um, I think I had Doge, uh, but more just because it like, I think I put like $4 into it. Like, I mean, what was it God, like five years ago or whatever it was. And then I didn't remember that I had it. And then when things started pumping with Doge, I was like, oh wait, I have Doge. So that was really, I should say that was probably my first. Um, but in terms of like getting into NFTs, like I would just, you know, it was mostly artists I knew and I wanted to support and it was just like, okay, cool. Yeah, like I, I really love this piece. This is really great. Um, I really love that the angle for a lot of this artwork too was like, hey, this is the art that I would make if I didn't have to, you know, sell a piece of artwork to Google or to like, you know, to work with a, another big company in the tech space, if I could just make whatever art my heart wanted to, this is what I would make. Um, and then working with Kevin on modern finance, um, you know, when we were kind of working on that specifically, like crypto was the big topic. And so it became a really awesome space for me to ask like more questions aside from listening to the podcast, actually being like, okay, explain this to me like I'm five, how does this work here? And, and why is this compelling? And I think the podcast did a great job of doing that, but there was also just a lot of great conversations and then meeting other people because of that podcast, whether they worked on the show or just kind of the community around it was just, it was a really cool thing and starting to understand a bit more about why are these things interesting? What's compelling about them? And also, you know, learning about the volatility. Yeah, definitely. Um, so what's your exact background? Is it art? Uh, so you're you've always been a designer yeah so my background is um yeah a print design was where i started so working in the editorial space at like magazines and stuff like that um from there i started getting more into web design um and then i started doing like apps and sort of designing apps had a great failure of a business right out of college where he moved to New York City to go build some apps um, and everything. Uh, this was like, you know, the OG rug in my life. Everything kind of fell apart there. Uh, so that didn't continue. Uh, and then after that, I became really more rooted in like professional illustration, digital illustration. And so um, I started building, you know, kind of like illustration systems, um, really got my big start in illustration after doing some agency work for a bit um, as an in-house uh, illustrator with a team at PayPal, rebuilt the illustrative system there. Um, and and then from there, you know, my contact from PayPal went over to Twitter. And so I started working on their illustration over there. And then I bounced around on a couple um, Google art teams over there. And all this time, you know, sort of working more on the just the illustration side. Um, but what I knew is like, I want to understand not just the art, but like, what's the art doing? Why are we making this art? Like, how does it work? There's only so many times you can draw a hand holding an iPhone uh, to explain something before you're like, okay, why, why is this what we're doing? Um, so then I started being interested in like, Hey, can I come to the product meetings and learning about more about like why product design is being done this way? Who makes the call? Who drafts up the ideas? Some teams have like UX departments. And so started bouncing around there, got really involved in, in sort of that. That product, just by asking a lot of questions, sitting in a lot of meetings I didn't quite understand. Um, and then uh, took a role with a startup called Code School, eventually uh, started running our product design department over there. And then we sold and then got more into the corporate side of running product teams and, and sort of managing product design, product management, cross-functional teams. Um, done some startups since then and 
found my way over to, you know, running proof now and co-founding with Kevin. That's fascinating. So one of the things that we're trying to do is to try and bring more people from the traditional finance, or I call it legacy finance, to this space, but also not just that, um, also a lot of people from other areas that are not very Web3 or NFT focused. You see the problem, I've, I find, maybe it's not a problem, but I guess because I have ADHD, I like the idea of like having fingers in a lot of pies, right? you know, mm-hmm. and, and one of the things that I'm very passionate about is bringing people of different backgrounds into this space. Uh, so for example, right now, I'm really uh, working very closely with Steinway trying to, uh, so because one of our investors uh, in our company is a is the managing director of Steinway UK, and he really understands this space, but um, he's trying to educate the rest of the people in Steinway. Uh, so that's one area where I'm trying to bring into this space. The other one is people who are um, in science, in math, you know, like I can see that this could be, you've got, you said the that you had three kids right and so mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. i can see a lot of opportunities to make say math fun you know mm-hmm. and, and like there are ways that you could you know like use this kind of tokenization uh system and and like the the, the idea of like these cool nfts to make education fun and then philosophy like for example when when you're in the nft space you know when you're in all these discords the conversations are all the same it's always about the floor it's always about like i mentioned this to stevie and soda pop as well that i feel like the nft space is so insular whereas most of us have other interests in life as well right and i can see rather than nfts being a an end in themselves being a means to an end you know mm-hmm. what i mean like to be to be a way to incentivize exploration of lots of other things um so with that in mind have you observed that and are there times that you think that maybe as a designer that you could bring nfts to other areas oh, that's a great question Huh. We had this really interesting question. Uh, I was at a founder's camp this year um, with proof and there was somebody who was asking, you know, about, it was so interesting. They were like in life sciences and, um, and they were asking like, can we use NFTs for funding? Like, how would we Mm -hmm. use these to essentially, you know, essentially crowdsource research and projects and all of these things. And it's a really interesting question. Um, I think on the surface, there are absolutely some things that obviously do make sense, whether it's, you know, the idea idea of collection or gamification. Those are like the easiest things to draw people into value experiences where it's like, hey, you know, NFTs are fun as a collectible ecosystem. I think token gating is kind of the same thing. Hey, you know, an NFT gets you access to these sorts of things. Um, The traditional models that we've used for crowdfunding, and I say traditional as in like the last like 10 years. So like, let's say Kickstarter, maybe there is an incentive there to be like to build around what it looks like to say, hey, if you fund this project by buying this NFT, this NFT is really just a placeholder for your access or your support in this system. And I think, um, I think where it gets interesting and maybe a little tricky is, you know, we were talking with some folks about, well, couldn't we just, you know, create art, partner with an artist and just create art and sort of, you know, use this to sort of be how people support the science project. And I think that is true. You can do that. But I do think there has to be some more product thinking um, that's really aligned with like, okay, yes, this, this, 
you know, token that you're going to get, this NFT is going to be, you know, it's going to have a piece of art, but the art itself is not what's going to bring somebody there. Mm -hmm. It's probably going to be the access and the opportunity that it gives you to be able to do these things. And so a lot of people, you know, we've, I've had some people who know that I work in NFTs and are just like, you know, they might be incredulous about it, but their question is like, do you really think that like this all is, and it's all going to like go away. Mm -hmm. And I think it's an interesting question, but I will say like, to me, we're only talking about a technology layer. Like like this is an infrastructural thing that's being introduced with tokenization, with, with ownership and rights that come along with these things. And yes, art in collectibles is absolutely a piece of that. We're using that to be able to create little ecosystems that can do different things. You know, utility NFTs are really big right now, but ultimately like I do think this will stay around, even though maybe it won't look exactly the same in 10 years. I think the technology that powers it is going to continue to pave the way for the future of the web. That's like asking when the early version of Facebook came out and like web two and customization and social profiles was coming out. You just looked at Facebook then and you're like, you really think this is going to exist for the next 10 years? And it's like, well, customization did. And having profiles and having an identity to an extent online does still exist. And in fact, now that we're in web three, a lot of those tools and techniques and experiences are being carried carried forward. And all they are is merely an infrastructure that seeds the next face for the web. And so I think that, you know, NFTs, ownership, thinking about, you know, how tokenization can create ownership models and, and allowing people to essentially fund certain things like so much of this will continue to exist and it'll be a part of identity in the web going forward. Um, and so I think that we're still very nascent in being able to really, you know, look into these layers of how do we get maths and sciences involved? How do we crowdfund incredible projects? How do we get charitable organizations to be able to have, to be an active participant and be able to be really thoughtful about like how the stuff is being used the transparency layers there it's ripe for it we just need to develop some of those things yes definitely fascinating so the thing is that most of those people don't necessarily have the vision they, because they don't have an experience with what we have in nfts in in and in the web3 space right so basically what we need is people like us who also have those other interests. Like for example, the, the platform that I'm building, it's about emerging technologies and philosophy. You know, I call myself a tech philosopher. I studied philosophy of science and technology and political philosophy. So I look at the macro economy, macro politics and societal level influences of uh, how technology is changing the future of humanity. So for example, let's say if I wanted to build a community of people who are interested in those topics. What I'm imagining is that whether it's a Discord server or whether it's a different you know, platform, I mean, essentially I'm building our own platform. We were not gonna go into uh, Discord. So actually when I started this platform, we didn't have any social media. I, mm-hmm. I wanted to build this platform without social media and without Discord. Um, I succumbed to the fact that it, it wasn't possible. You know, the reason was that I was going to go against the grain and I was going to try and do it um, differently. So because I already had a big following on LinkedIn, I started with a, a cold outreach to my following and then the following of my following. And mm-hmm. from that cold out, outreach, I built a, um, a mailing list of about 60,000 people. And then I uh, started building the platform. And now we have 19,000 members in our, mem- uh, in our platform. Uh, when I, I started to think a lot more about how could I incorporate 
um, the kind of technology that is in Web3, I felt like our audience were not quite ready for it. So mm-hmm. in the beginning, we didn't talk about it. And then I was like, okay, so this is the time now to introduce it to people because with the NFT boom, I was like, this is an opportunity to introduce it to our audience. So it, it turns out that um, the audience that we had because they were mostly women, women are very, very uh, risk averse and um, much, much harder to get them into new technologies. They are typically Mm. not early adopters. So that became uh, a bottleneck in some ways in trying to scale the business. So so I was like, how do I overcome that? So I thought if I create an NFT collection and use it as a way to, you know, um, get this message across. But when I was creating that, NFT project, I didn't realize the the challenges that some of the other female-led collections were having. So um, as I specifically, especially since I got my Moonbird and I came into the Ladybirds channel, I started to talk to other um, women in that space. uh, And I found out that actually this is a real issue that women-led projects aren't really taking off. And uh, we started talking about why that is the case. And it, it seems like it comes down to the fact that the majority of uh, female-led projects, of course, you know, a lot of times we have these female PFPs, but there are not enough women in this space. And because there are not enough women, even if men buy those things, they don't use them as their PFPs. And, mm-hmm. and as a result of that, there is uh, like less of a marketing. Basically, there, there's just like, it doesn't um, take off. The other reason is that women don't spend as much money because they don't earn as much money. They don't invest as mm-hmm. much money. So, uh, and also they, uh, they generally don't talk about money. So there's like a little bit of a taboo even talking about money among women. So with that, I was like, okay, but that's not going to scale because if the project isn't making money, people are not going to invest in it. So I was trying to find a way to overcome that. And uh, as I'm building this platform, which is around, uh, you know, technology and philosophy uh, and science, it's basically my idea was to have women leading it, right? Because when you look at the top 100 people who lead everything in science, technology, philosophy, business, they're all men. So if you are not there, I was like, what if I could create a reverse movement where it starts with women and then it trickles down to men and brings in men? And it's proving challenging. And uh, that's why, you know, I thought today might be a a good opportunity to talk to you about that and see what do you think? uh, So I can tell you what idea I have and you can tell me whether this is a good idea. But essentially, I'm thinking about creating the first one. Uh, you know, and, and it's already created, releasing the first one and then say you need to nest it. Maybe nest is not the right word, but, you know, uh, stake it or, or and then when you hold on to that for a certain amount of time, then you will be able to mint the second one, which is going to be male PFPs mostly. And let's say it will be like 90 percent men and then maybe another 10 percent like LGBTQ. Uh, but there will be no more women unless they are like part of that kind of LGBTQ. Um, right. And the idea is to partner to say like you're like allies so i'm i'm trying to kind of build this concept of allyship yeah. and basically the way i'm envisioning envisioning a uh, like a whether it's a discord server whether it's on our own platform a community of people who talk about these things like for example are we living in a simulation you know yeah, like yeah. you know like like <laughs> these kinds of topics like you know what what's it like bringing up children 
in a in an environment where they've not seen anything other than the digital you know like the future of humanity how's our brains changing you know like talk about those things um but but for women to be part of that you know that's why i wanted to lead this with women because for example i'm highly influenced by philosopher nietzsche but actually nietzsche was uh, influenced by a woman called uh, andrea solomon lu and actually for example freud was also highly influenced by her. So a lot of people don't know about her, but, but she mm-hmm. actually highly influenced these uh, characters of his time. So yeah, I would love to hear any thoughts you may have. It's a, uh, yeah, I, I have thoughts and I will say they're, they're not like, they're probably just you know, a lot of my lack of understanding of like how to approach some of these kind of, cause every project is so different. And I think when I think about spaces for women, like as a, you know, as a cisgendered man, um, it, it gets hard for me to know, is this a space that like people want me to be in or, or is there more safety if not in it? And that's okay too. I remember we talked about ladybirds. We had that whole discussion about like, does it make sense to make this um, an inclusive group that has like allies and women, or is this just for women? And it's like, for me, I feel like I'm, I'm trying to just, you know, lean in and try to hear, okay, well, what do you all want out of this space? Do you want this to just be for, and if, and if so, that's okay. And that's awesome. And I'll hundred percent respect. And if that's where safety is found, then like, absolutely, that's, that's the way it should work. And, you know, as, as a male who's still learning how to be a good ally, um, I think that my assumption at first is probably like, I'll, I'll leave that space for them and they can decide what it looks like. So I think even the invitation that you're talking about where it's so specific, like we're going to start with women and then we're going to have a specific experience that's for allies. Like that would be such an obvious invitation. That's like, great. Yes. This is, this is, this is my place to come in and like, know that I'm not stepping on any toes. I'm not making anybody, um, you know, taking over somebody else's safe space where they want to show up. And I think that that intent the design already changes kind of how I feel about these things. Like my wife is in um, my BFF. That was her first NFT mm-hmm. and, and she really loves it. And she loves the art. And I know that there is like both kind of happening there. Um, and I probably need to do more digging and more research on that myself, but I still was like, you know, when, when the NFTs are specifically like women identifying characters or femme based characters, um, you're right. I, I probably won't use it as my avatar. Um, but more just because it's like, I don't, I don't know about like, am, am I going to be seen as like posing as someone else? And these PFPs are so representative of identity in so many ways. It's almost like animals are easier because it's like, it's not a person that looks like that. And I think about that where it's like, you know, um, there's an artist that I followed who had very human identifying looking characters. And like, I minted like kind of a person of color character. Mm-hmm. And it's like, is that okay to, to be somebody who's white passing in my appearance and having a person of color kind of identity by way of PFP? And I think like, you know, different people have different perspectives on that. And I, I can totally respect them. the same thing with having a woman identifying or, or a femme identifying PFP. Like people might feel very differently about that in this discussion and that's okay. But I think for me, it's like, I, I definitely feel like I want my PFP to be representative of me in some way or an abstraction of me, like as in a pirate moonbird, where like, I don't necessarily, I'm not a pirate personally, but it's so just fun and just kind of like silly that like, okay, well, nobody's going to mistake Justin Mazel for being a pirate bird. Um, and so it feels like, okay, that feels a little more safe to use. And so I think that there is a lot um, that probably does go into it. But then again, it's like, I really don't think I would use um, any 
human identifying PFPs to be totally honest, because mm-hmm. it's like, I don't know, it's hard to like see something and see whether or not it's you or not. Is this yeah. exactly, do the eyes look like mine? Does the hair look like mine? Is my face too narrow, too round for this? And I think there's so much like, there's already so much like dysmorphia about how we look at ourselves, that it feels like when I lead with like a certain character, and this is a Justin thing, it's just more like, yeah, yeah, I don't think that's me. Um, and so that's why some of the abstractions are a little bit easier for me. That's fascinating. Yeah, I can see where you're going with that. I think that it's a very good point what you said about when when there is a a female uh, space that you don't know as a man whether you are welcome or not. Um, The truth is that- And not that it's bad if I'm not. I never feel like like it's like maligned against us. It's just like, hey, if this is really safe for you all, for anybody who's female identifying, and that's the space you're curating, like, that's awesome. And you should, you should do that. And I know that there are like, like, I know my wife feels more strongly interested a lot of times, like when it's a small group kind of setting for like that, like she's like, oh yeah, if it was just women identifying people, like I'm probably going to be more open. And if it's more small and intimate in that way, rather than like a big group of both. Mm -hmm. Um, So what I'm thinking about is I want to build a space that is not just women, but men and women equally, but to have men who are Uh, allies and supportive because a lot of times what happens is that when you have a space where there are men even if there are like a few men and a lot of women men tend to naturally overpower for example we had a panel recently and we had one gentleman on the panel and you know I'm somebody who is quite strong-willed you know and like I would manage the situation right but there were many times where I really felt like I couldn't get a word in because, because, you know, it was like a real difference of the way that, you know, like with women, we are, we're so much more allowing other people to, you know, we think about how the other person feels or, you know, how, how we give them more space. Right. Um, so I think part of this building this space where men, there are equal number of women and men and that they can all speak about the real, uh, important issues about the future of humanity, about science, technology, you know, um, genomics, you know, all, all these things that are being built around us and to have a, a space where they can have these conversations, but for men to actually allow women to have a voice and, and to be supportive, I'm almost kind of like artificially trying to build something that naturally hasn't evolved for uh, generations and the, the reason why I'm trying to do that is because we are now going into a new phase of human evolution where uh, we are essentially becoming, you know, a new type of species that is uh, merging with technology. It's, it's really important that this new type of species that is being created, it has a bit of both genders in, right? And like you don't want all of these technologies, all of these sciences to be built just with one specific mindset of mostly basically white men, which is the, the case most of the time. So bringing in that diversity and like purposefully building a space where there are equal numbers and uh, encouraging, I think that also will be very empowering for, for both genders, not just for, because, because then, like you say, when there is that male PFP, even if the person doesn't use the PFP, but they buy into it and they use it as their token of, you know, getting into the community, even that is a, a very clear invitation into our space. And, yeah. and you come into that space and you will, I, I just want men to also feel like get, get a feel for what it's like to be in a equal women's space 
you know, and, and I think NFTs give us this opportunity to rebuild culture, if you, if you will, you know, to, to re-engineer culture. This is one of the things that makes me very interested in tokenization. This tokenization is, is about creating a new system of incentives. And if we can use these to create future generations of people who are much more you know, uh, inviting and tolerant of uh, other sexes, people of other backgrounds. But if I was, um, if, if I were thinking about what should the design of something like that look like as a designer, you know, uh, this is where, like, for example, with our PFEs, I know that our members really like them. Of course, there are many other women-led projects that different people have got different tastes. You can't create something that everybody likes but i if i were to create one create something that was for men i wouldn't know where to start uh, so <laughs> we are right now what we are experimenting with because our pfps are based on a picture of me when i was in a metal band which we will talk about in a bit <laughs> <laughs> but um but now my team are experimenting with that and like adding like more jaw and like you know like bigger shoulders and like trying to make me into a man <laughs> yeah but but uh, yeah i wouldn't know where to start from like what do men like <laughs> oh god i don't know if i could answer that for all men uh, or even a small subset of men <laughs> I, I i will say this like i i find myself like one of the things I thought was really interesting what you're talking about, which is this idea of like, there's a melding that can't happen with like traditionally masculine identifying or traditionally femme identifying kind of like items and how these amalgamations can kind of come together to make something really unique. And I think about this a lot through like, you know, like color to me is always really important. I, I find color to be a really captivating thing. And it's, it's what I love working with in my work. Um, and, and one of my favorite things is like working in like pinks and purples. Like I just, I think that they're really striking. I think they have like a ton of really interesting like vibes to them, whether it's like, you know, traditional eighties kind of synth wave kind of stuff like that neon soaked, you know, kind of like Tokyo vibes. And so like, I think you don't have, you have all these kind of like parts of design or illustration. You have color, you have form and shape and how these things interact. You have scale. Um, and so to me, it's like, I, I really start thinking about, you know, we, a lot of times attribute or ascribe certain genders with a lot of these shapes, you know, it's like where you have, you know, the fluidity of sort of like organic line work is a lot of times ascribed to something that's more, you know, feminine. And then like hard lines are typically seen as more masculine or whatever. That's like, Hey, I'm trying to increase my jaw size to make it look more masculine or whatever. Like to me, I think that they're, if that is something that's interesting and compelling, I think there's a degree to which like where these things start meeting and where those things start to change, whether it's the form and the shape and how hard those edges are, where the colors are used, what happens when you have like really, you know, strong characterized hard edges with really soft and like pastel colors and how these things sort of meet. I think the idea of, of abstracting the human form into some really interesting kind of like I guess, interpretations of it. To me, that gets closer to how my brain works, where it's like, again, like I'm not looking to like recast myself in the digital space, typically, when it, whenever it comes to PFPs or the metaverse, you know, I'm not looking to like, redo my image. Like I, 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 I'm, I'm down with the way that Justin looks and like, I'm going to ride that out. But I do like the idea of, of sort of like an abstraction of a character and really thinking about like, maybe it's it's harder to peg what's masculine and what's feminine because of the attributes and the way that they're all working together. And I think the other thing to keep in mind when it comes to PFPs, and this is just my personal preference, is like 
when we see PFPs, they're so small. They're really, really tiny. And the constraints are really important to me as an artist. Like I prefer really simple PFPs compared to like really, really detailed ones because of how they scale down. And some PFPs I see are fabulous art that I would love to see on like full display. But when I see them as a PFP, it's like overwhelming to me or it's kind of muddy and I can't really understand what's going on. And so like pixel art was like one of these things. I hadn't done a lot of pixel art before, but I did a lot of like geometric illustration. And so the constraints that pixel art gave me, which is like you have literally 42 by 42 dots on the system to make something unique. Those constraints kind of like a diamond under pressure, like created a situation where I had to come up with like abstract to kind of bring out different unique things in that. And so I think the other thing to keep in mind as you're building is like, give yourself some constraints, whether it's size or fidelity, how these kind of things are seen. And I think that these constraints will also help sort of guide you with creative solutions that may abstract, whether it's a character or a human looks like, these constraints will push you to come up with really unique solutions for what it looks like. Okay, no, this is fascinating. So I will pass that on to our artist. And you know what? I know you are super, super busy, but it would be amazing to have you as like, you know, just like taking, when I say art director, as in like, just taking a look at it and say, yes. I'd be happy. No. I'd be happy to give feedback. Absolutely. Okay, that would be amazing. That would be Absolutely. Um, so um, the next question I had was that, as far as I know, there's no other collection that has focused on this building, this kind of allyship. Um, what do you think of that idea itself? Because, for example, when you look at like World of Women, it was uh, really lovely. You know, I, I actually got a, a wow G and I'm, I might pick a World of Women considering the prices are down right now uh, as well. But it's like when they had the second collection, they had another 23,000 or so uh, women. And there just aren't enough women in the space as well, right? You know, that's like suddenly oversupply for a small group of people. And yes, we are hoping that in the future there will be more women. But the fact that there aren't enough women, um, that itself, you know, from a business, and probably this would be a question mostly also for Kevin as well, hopefully if we can get him on the podcast at some point. Mm -hmm. It's like basically, because I'm thinking about how how do you make this, viable as a business too because it needs to be sustainable as a business itself right and and i think it's important to have an ecosystem where people want to buy that thing you know and doesn't necessarily have to be about using it as their pfp but it's about being part of that community where you are having those discussions about whether it's about the future of humanity or whether it's about you know alpha group or whatever it is right so everybody has got different things that they're interested in but from a business point of view, do you what what's your thoughts on you know the viability of that idea? Yeah, I, I love the idea. Like I said, just okay. because it feels so like specific to like I I understand that this is a group that that really wants to ensure that women are being you know an active participant in the space. Um, there's a degree to which I understand kind of the mission and the scope of what that looks like. But then I also have a very clear understanding of like, hey, we also need allyship in this yes. space as well. And so it feels like buying into an NFT like that 
is very specific to say like, hey, I'd love to take up the mantle or that flag and say, I'm happy to be an ally. And also like, I, I love the idea that knowing that there will likely be gated spaces that will exist just for women there. And that's awesome. And women are going to have that. And the people who decide that that's really where they're comfortable in the space, they're going to have those spaces to be able to do that. And then on the other side, where there are more collaborative spaces, like we'll also have that. And yeah. so I, I really like intention in design. And to me, it's so easy to see exactly how this works, exactly what you're trying to build. Um, and the invitation being very, very, um, very, very clear that yeah. like, this is, this is the space for you to be here and to be present. And, and there's going to be some discussions that happen with the whole group. And we want to hear men's voices. And there's going to be some discussions that need to just be had with the women identifying people. And we're going to have those discussions too. And so I think that's a really, really powerful idea. Okay. That's, that's really good to hear because, um, you know, it's not something that's been done before and there any other, whether it's in the NFT space or whether it's in other spaces, you know, to have that um, idea of, you know, really literally building it on allyship. Um, so it's, it's quite nerve wracking when you're trying to do something that's not been done before. But at the same time, I'm also looking at women only projects and I can see um, how it can be very difficult because we we don't live in silos in real life we don't live in silos and for me the the big red flag was when I was first building uh, so initially the platform at the moment is called Fempeak but maybe mm -hmm. by the time people hear this may have changed because we are literally in the in the process of um, coming up with a new name and and rebranding to be more uh, inclusive because it, even though it is inclusive just because it's called Fempeak, people, men don't think they're not welcome. So we are mm -hmm. changing it so that they feel more welcome. Um, but uh, for me, the red flag was, you know, early days when I started this platform, I was on a date and uh, this gentleman was like, like uh, I said, look, I don't, I don't want kids. I'm building this thing, you know, and I just, mm -hmm. I just don't have time for children. And I was like, so if you're looking for kids, you know, you shouldn't probably date me, right? And he was like, yeah, well, I need to first find, somebody for the job but it would definitely not be somebody who's on Fempeak <laughs> I was like okay because he, he meant that because he thought because the platform was called Fempeak that it was very feminist and like you know uh -huh. like uh -huh. you see what I mean so these are like so these are the things that the the misconceptions uh, about women only spaces sometimes also that doesn't help uh, yeah. those uh, those become actual become viable businesses because because there aren't enough women who are at the moment in these spaces, in technology and, and business. And yes, of course, we have to keep trying to bring more women in, but it takes time because you think about mm -hmm. it, women were not even able to vote until 100 years ago. And, mm -hmm. you know, and, and in countries where I come from, like Iran, you know, it's like um, I was I was forced to marry my cousin at the age of 17. You know, like it was a, it was a mm -hmm. very, very oppressive place. So. So many of us have had to really break down a lot of barriers to even get there. So we need to be patient with them. And that's why building this kind of allyship is important so that the, the businesses that are building around these concepts can actually uh, thrive um, mm -hmm. and, and be viable because they will have enough membership. They will have enough uh, support. And also uh, at the same time, I think, imagine like if you were part of a similar kind of um, community that your wife is in, maybe that would encourage your daughter or encourage your son to be more, you know, as, as they grow up to be more 
inclusive of uh, other genders and towards others. So let's now talk a little bit more about uh, moonbirds before we uh, get to the end of our time. So I know that there are some really exciting things happening from what I heard today uh, at <laughs> NFT NYC and I'm I'm uh, looking to be there I, I, I didn't think I could but I'm just pushing everything around in my love that. um, that's awesome yeah so I'm, I'm hoping to be there so um, tell me a little bit about what it's like like from a day-to-day basis like what are you guys doing okay so the the NFTs are out and there's been all this excitement and I think there's a lot of hype around this so people are like really looking and thinking about what's going to happen there so on a day-to-day basis what are you guys doing yeah (laughs) there's a lot um right now you know we're definitely in a hiring season which is just like we have a lot to build um and we know that we have some concurrent work streams that are going to need to happen you know we still run proof the mainline brand we need to update like actually the brand so it's not a podcast page you know we have the proof collective that has uh collections that are a part of it curated collections like grails and you know some of our partnership collections like heart you so this is all product lines that exist within proof and then we've also got moonbirds and moonbirds is going to need its own cross-functional teams. So it's like, we're talking product designers, you know, engineers, product managers to really own the experiences that we're building. And then we also have, you know, we, we've talked about it before, like that code name high rise project, where essentially we're talking more about the community platform. Um, the metaverse is, is a word, obviously that's a very loaded word, but essentially like, how do we think about these persistent places of giving you intent and purpose to actually build around why you're here. And so, um, there's a lot that's going on. Uh, we have extended some offers uh, to some folks. We've got a couple new people that are joining the team already. Um, and so it's it's very busy, a lot of hiring, but then it's like while I'm interviewing people and while we're talking to them, also having to work in between wherever I can to, again, we're releasing a lot of uh, site updates. We just launched public profiles yesterday for Moonbirds, yes. which gives Moonbirds the chance to connect with other Moonbirds. And it's really just a space to like celebrate the journey of your Moonbird and, and kind of like chronologically like see what they've done, what they've been a part of. Um, So we're excited to do that. You know, even like little things like Twitter integration. This morning, I worked on a sidebar on the homepage of the dashboard of Moonbirds that will just like pull data from who's all logged their Twitters and then put that on the page there. So you could like find everybody who's a part of it and hopefully, you know, begin some conversations uh, or, you know, follow them and and really kind of build people's connections, their networks, build some personal brands here as well as starting on some of the leaderboard stuff, which is more just celebrating our users. Um, So there's a lot going on, a lot of team growth. I think we have I think we'll be with this cohort of hires that we have at about 30 people. When we launched Moonbirds, you know, we were at, um, we were at six people. So it's a lot, uh, but we're really excited about how much we can do. You know, we've talked a lot about, you know, in the beginning, you were talking about sustainable business and essentially having a business model that allows you to grow. Um, That was one thing that was really great about, you know, the Moonbirds meant for us really was an incredible, um, event for us to be able to be uh, mobilized and capitalized to be able to build out the teams now because we put everything back into the business you know we didn't take anything out of that and now what that's done is given us great runway uh, to ensure that we are you know we have the capital to be able to build these teams to build these products and to continue pushing forward and to allow their visions to be a part of what's coming next too that's fascinating how do you see uh, moonbird comparing to uh, some of the other uh, blue chips in this space and what they're building, like, uh, for example, if we look at the board Apes, what they're building, how would you describe the difference in the vibes? Do you own a board Ape? I don't. 
I do not own a board ape. I, I don't own one. And I just wonder what the, what the vibe is. Yeah, I'm not 100% certain. I mean, again, all I know is the vibes of single individuals, you know, and I've had amazing interactions with board apes and I've had less than amazing with certain people in the space too. Like everybody's so different. And ultimately, you know, when you wear a PFP, you are representative of that community to an extent. You're going to say something. Yeah, I was going to say, other than the vibe of the community, what does the mission, what you're building, how do you yes. see that being different? Yeah. So I, when I look at board apes and they released some footage yesterday of other side, um, and it's sort of this like fully 3d mm-hmm. immersive game and like a, like a universe. And of course we don't know the specifics, you know, are you just traversing about, are there objectives? Are you leveling up? Like it's a role-playing game, like world of Warcraft. I don't know the specifics there. I will say like, I think it's awesome what they're building. I think it's amazing that we have, you know, these, these, projects that start off as just like maybe a simple art project that now has evolved into hiring out whole teams of interdisciplinary folks to come together to collaborate and deliver amazing experiences. And to me, I see other side, hopefully as a huge triumph for the space, like the other deeds meant the art was beautiful. It was captivating. I I love the world building. You know, it's like, it's really wild to me because it doesn't just feel like apes. Like they're expanding that universe in a really cool way. And to me, somebody who loves lore and story and art uh, and like, you know, science fiction and fantasy, I see these pieces of land and I'm just like, oh my God, there's a story here. There's like something going on. And I want to walk around these spaces. Um, As we think about proof, that's not really what we're looking to do. We don't really want to create a game. Um, I I have played games uh, and I do enjoy games. I just don't really have time to play them, uh, except for I am playing Elden Ring because it's a fantastic game. Um, but the thing that we really love is proof and what has really been core to our brand is we started off as a brand that celebrated NFT collecting and art appreciation and the community that surrounds it. And for me, that has been a piece of every step we've made as Proof Collective And it's also been a part of where we want to take, you know, Project High Rise, which is really creating a place to be able to, um, without saying too much, I I know we try to be really guarded about all this because some of this stuff really is like, we want to be the first to be able to build some of this. Uh, But essentially like we we think a lot about your identity as an individual in the space, your collection, what it means. um, How do you make sure that like you can collect something for a reason that's important to you? And it's not just about the volume or the size of your collection any more than being a moonbird holder is about the fact that somebody has 10 or one. There's not like more intrinsic value to an individual based on that amount, but really like how do we celebrate what art is, where it's going, where it's been, and like what we're proud of in the space. And how do we find like-minded communities um, that also want to celebrate these things, whether it's just the art or whether it's the technology behind it and really, you know, meeting other people in the space, networking with them to understand what's being built. And everything is a little different. You know, Proof Collective is still a a very small, intimate 1,000 person group with an incredibly, incredibly low churn number, Um, but it's also really expensive. And so getting in is really hard now. Um, And then you've got, you know, Moonbirds, which is to us an expansion of community that's really focusing more on connection at scale and thinking about, you know, whether it's events whether it's, you know, smaller pocket communities and identity, whether it's just celebrating people for saying, hey, this may be your first NFT. This may be your first online community that you've really dug into aside from being on Facebook and Web2, where you just knew like, you know, a couple of people you knew from school and, you know, your aunt and uncle and really thinking about like, what does identity mean in the space as people are getting to know each other? How do we create safe, inclusive spaces that are thoughtful about the events that we take on, whether it's digital events or whether it's in real life events and how do we celebrate the journey of that? And and because we are proof and we care deeply about art and collection, um, how do we ensure that people learn 
while they're in this space, why we think NFTs matter, why they could be historically significant or why we think they're technologically important or why they're just beautiful and we care about the art that's there. Um, and so a lot of this, we think a lot about the experiences that will be, whether it's derivative of Moonbirds or expanding on the opportunities or even just like airdrops of rewards. We've been talking a lot about like a lot of intention and the design of what this looks like, not just giving out, you know, free NFTs for the sake of doing it or giving people swag just because it's the cool thing that now we can do and buy somebody a hoodie, but really thinking about how does this relate to sort of like the chief end experience that we want to bring people to. And to us, Project High Rise is very much the sort of fulcrum of all of these experiences and how they touch and connect. Like we want to see Proof Collective and Moonbirds, and we wanna see other collections, potentially other chains coming together to be a part of sort of what we're building. And that's why everything that we do, we do think very ecosystem-minded and every direction, every decision, whether it was public profiles that launched yesterday, or whether it's some of the things right now that we're doing product ideation and brainstorming on for High Rise, it's like, how does this lead into the next experience which lead into the next and where is the ultimate goal of where proof is going and why is are all these experiences like important to us to make sure that they have their moment to really collide in a space like high rise yeah fascinating i'm so glad to be part of this project i would really really like to get myself a proof uh, pass uh, you know i've been i keep looking at that floor price and i'm like mm. yeah <laughs> it's because i'm building i'm build, you know i'm building a, a a startup right and i need every penny so, uh, yes. so i keep looking at that and i'm like okay at some point <laughs> you know yeah so do you see this community growing like is it going to be like then there will be another twenty thousand, and there will be another fifty thousand, a hundred thousand. is it like is that mm. how you see it eventually you know, it's an interesting question. I think that there's a lot of scaling things that we'd really need to consider, which is just like, how do we ensure that like the ideas uh, that we want to bring forward to this community about connectivity really are still there? Um, I think to be very candid, there is a degree to which even Moonbirds now to me is financially just, it's too expensive for a lot of people. You know, we are not a uh, a first door into the community at this point into Web3 very well when the price is hanging around 20. You know, that's a very expensive investment. For some people, that's a, that's a year's salary. And so um, we really do think about, you know, expansion is um, something that as we get to high rise, of course, we would like a very large bustling active community to be a part of that. And we, we very much are baking that into the DNA of how we're thinking about these things. Um, I would say that we would look at future expansions on the ecosystem at current as more about um, you know, growing the footprint of access that we can give to people and ensuring that, you know, we can get more people into the ecosystem, into the community, rubbing shoulders with other people while still preserving those things that the other communities already have and ensuring that those still stay their, their you know, values. And we thought about that a lot, you know, with Proof Collective to Moonbirds, we had to make that decision. It's like, there's a degree to which the Proof Collective still needs to stay this small tight-knit group and those benefits still need to exist there but they also have benefits to be able to go and we want them to be a part of Moonbirds and to talk with the Moonbirds and to be able to share information and how they think about collection. And we've seen it happen. Like there's so many great conversations that happen where our Proof Collective members go to the Moonbirds channels and just like help. Like I saw that happen today where people were feeling really down about the market crash and having these people, some of them are part of the collective, be able to talk about it and just say, this hurts. And this isn't the first time I've dealt with this. And here's some, like, I can't give you financial advice, but I can tell you as a human, this is what's helped me navigate some of these things. And this is what, what I learned and how I can ensure that I'm not overextended when something like this happens again. That is what I think 
I would love to see happen if Moonbirds continue to expand. How do we ensure the Moonbirds are doing this for those communities? How do we ensure that they are the ones who get to say, hey, listen, I've seen this before. And let me tell you something that really helped me as the community continues to mature, continues to really, you know, the, the churn will at some point likely kind of stabilize, probably hit some stabilization. There's ups and downs. It's always going to be volatile. But I do think, you know, you do start to really chisel out who that long-term community is going to be. And I think we'll continue to see that happen. Fascinating. Like, like I said, you know, I'm super, super stoked to be part of the community. This I'm so happy great. you are. Yeah, I know, right? I, I'm so glad. I've been thinking a lot about with the market being down. I kept thinking a lot about either getting another moonbird or, you know, maybe trying to muster the, uh, you know, the, the ETH to buy a, a proof pass. But then uh, I just got a Zeneca um, a membership. So, oh, uh, so yeah. And, and with like, with everything going on right now with the market, I just need to kind of also think in terms of all the different costs. But um, maybe before you go, tell me about yes. that, that guitar behind you. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah. Talk a little bit about music and about your other project you're working on, The Skulls, right? Because that Yes, my is, Grim Syndicate. Is that when it's coming out? Uh, that one's already out. That's that's on the oh. Solana. That's on oh, the Solana okay. blockchain. Um, it's just a project that I am one of the co-founders of. I do the art for it. So yeah. So would you be doing something else to do with music and uh, and skulls? Yeah. So so with uh, with Grim Syndicate, it really is just kind of an art and lore project, which is really different than how Moonbirds is. Like Moonbirds is less about you know lore or any like specific kind of art stuff. That's like you know high fidelity art. Obviously, we did the pixel art, which is so fun, and we really wanted like a really cute experience. But but Grim Syndicate for me is is like that is like my storytelling project that just mm -hmm. kind of like speaks to like my love of like world building um, and thinking more about um, what kind of stories we can tell. Um, and, and I feel like that's always been really core to what I love. There's some gamification in there, but it's very different um, than how uh, Moonbirds works. It's definitely a lot more about like collecting items and ingredients and combining them to make either other pieces of art or NFTs or just more like mechanical utility kind of things mm -hmm. um, that will fold into a larger. Uh, and then we've been, you know, working on essentially kind of like a PVE sort of uh, tile-based kind of card game. Um, and so that's really just kind of like uh, a, a side project of mine that I absolutely love and I'm a co-founder of, uh, but there's a full team that works on Grim Syndicate. And so I am, I am currently just like, you know, I am a part of it, but it, it's certainly not my full-time job right now, like uh, Moonbirds and Proof is, which obviously takes my full-time of life at the moment. That's for sure. But yeah. So uh, can you make sure to send me a link to that uh, on Twitter? Yeah, later? absolutely. Because I, I would definitely like to uh, pick up one of those, especially because I bought the Solana div. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but, it's, it's a div. Everybody's so down right now and it's so awful and it feels terrible. And I know that. And I just want to like give the world like a collective hug right now because I know it's it's so yeah. hard. It's so hard it's, to like kind of walk through some of this. And, and you know, I think this is a lot of people's, you know, first real sort of crash on something like this. Yes. And I think, it's you know, this is when you, you recognize some really big mistakes. It's tough. It's really tough. Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's my first crash, but I knew that it would happen at some point, right? So all I could do, I just made sure to keep some dry powder so that I could, um, you know, buy the dip uh, as much as possible. But in general, it's quite scary seeing your net worth just sort of melt down, <laughs> melt away. Um, but it's... Um, it's the nature of the beast. Like I said, we are very early days in this. And that's part of the reason why we are um, making, uh, you know, these gains. Uh, but, but at the same time, there's always risk. Well, thank you so much for being here today, uh, Justin. I really enjoyed the conversation. Uh, I look forward to seeing you in uh, New York. That would be awesome. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I thank you.
I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Justin Mizo. Be sure to follow him on Twitter. That's J-U-S-T-I-N-M-E-Z-Z-E-L-L. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to it on Apple, Spotify, or any other one of your favorite podcast channels. And don't forget to give it a five-star rating and write a review. The full interviews are also available on my YouTube channel, The Somi Ariane Show.